I struggled to pick a text out of this passage because it's really the whole passage that I want to draw your attention to. We've been examining some of the New Testament metaphors over the past few weeks to describe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in looking at those metaphors, we've looked at the church through various lenses. And I don't want you to think that they're just mere grammatical constructions that are interesting and something to be noted. Rather, they are the Holy Ghost's instruction to teach us about the church and our place within it. Now, may I remind you once again that you cannot be a Christian without being a member of the church that is spiritual and is invisible. That is the great body of Christ that spans all denominations and is comprised of all who know and love the Savior. All Christians are members of the body of Christ. But you can be a member of the body of Christ, the invisible church, without being a member of the visible part of the church, even though the scripture commands that you should be. That's a sad reality. And it's sadly possible also that you can be a member of the visible body and yet truly not be a member of the invisible body. So as Christians, you and I, we need to know that God has saved us to be part of a greater whole and a greater number. I've become wearied with Christians who speak as if God only sent his son to die on the cross to save them and nobody else. Jesus sent his son to die on the cross to save his church, to save his elect number. And as we understand from these biblical word pictures what the Holy Ghost teaches us concerning the church, uh, I think enables us to live a fuller lives within the church and serve him more faithfully. One of the best known comparisons we looked at a few weeks ago was Paul's uh, comparison of the church where he likened it to the human body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Then we looked at Ephesians chapter 5 where the church is compared to the bride, the bride and the groom. And then we looked at one of the the loveliest, and I think one of the most familiar, and one one that I love and take great encouragement from, that of the church as a flock of sheep. A flock of sheep. And it's it's a metaphor that resonates with us here in Morn, with so many sheep up in those mountains. And then 1 Peter 2 and 5 gives to us another very insightful picture of the church because it is a spiritual house. It is a spiritual temple. What designates the church? It's the spirituality of it. The spirituality of it. So John 15 verse 1 to 8 brings us to yet another picture. Now there are countless ones of it. I'm only going to do one more in this little mini-series of it, but this is one for today. And it brings us to the picture of the vine and the branches. Christ and his church. This whole passage depicts for us a cultivated part of God's work. Where the church is depicted as being a vineyard. And here we, we have the divine gardener. 
Verse 1, he's introduced to us as our heavenly father. He is the divine husband man, and he's carefully nurturing and tending to the spiritual life of the vineyard. And the work of both the father and the son are necessitated in this vineyard. Again, we have a whole theology that has come up in the evangelical church in the last years, and it's Jesus only. But it's not Jesus only in the Bible. Because you never have Jesus without the Father. You never have the Father without the Son. And it's the work of the Father and the Son to tend to this vineyard and to produce fruit from it. So the Father works through the Son. And by the Spirit in the lives of his elect people, uniting them to him and producing fruits of righteousness from them unto his glory. Christ said of himself, I am the true vine. The I am. It's as if he's saying, I myself am. That would be a good translation of it. And that New Testament imagery, as we've said of all the other ones, is taken straight out of the Old Testament scriptures. We read in Isaiah chapter 5. Now, verse 1, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Verse 1 to 7. We sang very deliberately today from Psalm 80. And Psalm 80 is a wonderful depiction of Israel as a vineyard. And the prayer is, Return we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted and the branch that thou madest strong for thyself. Now in the New Testament in John 15, uh, Christ is depicted as the true Israel of God and his people as the branches. And it's only the branches that can bear fruits unto the glory of God. And this oftentimes necessitates the pruning of those branches that have been grafted into the vine, which is Jesus Christ. And all with the one intention that they will bear more fruit unto the glory of God's praise. So as we look at the immediate context of John 15, I think it helps us to understand the application of this wonderful metaphorical language that is used here. Jesus is in the upper room. He has just finished instituting what we know now to be the Paschal meal has become the Lord's Supper. The, the vine, the fruit of the vine is still on the table, the, the remnants of it, and all the other items that would have made up that Paschal meal. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Just that little group of disciples that was the visible church that was in front of him and in that visible church there were true branches that bore fruit and there were false branches that bore no fruit the true branches were the true disciples the false branches that bore, that bore no fruit were the false disciples so since Jesus claimed to be the vine and identified himself thereby and he identified the heavenly father as the husband man, uh, so these branches we can take 
that bear fruit referred to the 11 disciples. Disciples bear fruit. I want you to get that at the very outset today. True disciples bear righteous fruit. True disciples bear righteous fruit. And that's very important to note. But there are other disciples that were there and they bore no fruit. And that has to be a reference to Judas who betrayed the Savior. And even as Jesus spoke these words in John 15, he'd already gone out to arrange the betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to be in Christ's church, I'm not talking now about a denominational body. I'm talking about your being in Christ. I'm talking about you being in the body. You have to be a true branch that is united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in you, that's the wonderful thing today, in you, the divine husband man is working. And through you, he is producing fruit unto his glory, fruits of righteousness that bring glory and honor to his wonderful name. Those who are not truly and savingly united to the vine, there's a warning here, and I want you to see that before we end today. That ultimately those branches that bear no fruit will be cut off and cast into the fire. They can be in the closest proximity to the vine and the fruitful branches. But one day they're going to wither and they're going to be cut off. So we have a very pleasant picture here. If you've ever been in a vineyard, you'll know it's a very pleasant place to be. And yet there's a very poignant message that goes with this very pleasant picture. There's a warning from God to every heart and life here in the service today. You're either bearing fruit as a true disciple or you have no fruit. And the warning is that your professional wither. And one day it will be gathered up and it will be burned at that great judgment day which is yet to come. So let's look at the, the main lessons then in this uh, passage that we have before us that teaches us about Christ and his church, the vine and the branches. The first lesson we learn is an obvious one and it is the vital union between Christ and his people. It couldn't be conveyed in a more intimate and in a more personal manner because it's likened unto the union between the vine and the branches. Christ declares himself to be the true vine. And then he said, you, my disciples, are united to me. You are one with me. William Hendrickson, in his wonderful commentary in John's Gospel, he suggests three things that really struck in my mind as I was studying this through in the past week. <clears throat> in a far higher degree, does the church find its unity its life, I have said, vitality and its fertility in Christ. Can you think of that just for a moment? The unity which an earthly vine imparts to its branches, it's organic, it's very close, it's intimate. And were it not so, this metaphor would not have been employed. The body is one. We are one in the body with Christ. And this unity is a real union. When we speak of union, 
with Christ. It's a real union. It's just as real as that branch being connected into the stem of the vine. It's one with the vine. And it draws its length, it draws its life, it draws its vitality from the vine. And the vitality that the branch receives, of course, it's just a, a, a mere shadow compared with the everlasting life which Jesus, by his death, gives to all those who know and love him as their saviour. Not wonderful? The life that you and I have today that we receive from Christ it's not just for a season, it's for eternity. It's for eternity. And this fertility of the vine is nothing in comparison <clears throat> with the abiding fruitfulness that the Son of God bestows upon those who love him. The work of the heavenly uh, father, the husbandman, is emphasized here as never before because he cultivates the ground. He owns the ground his vineyard he owns it he planted the vine but he owns the ground in which the vine is planted and he cultivates it and he nurtures it and he tends to it and he watches over it and the bible tells us so much about what our heavenly father has done to make this vine and the branches grow we read in john three sixteen those lovely words every boy and girl will be able to tell me it this morning john three sixteen for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son is wonderful. God gave his only begotten son. He sent him into this world. He gave his son that this vine might produce fruit unto his eternal glory. He sent the Holy Spirit. We read those words of Jesus in chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. He said, I will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. As Jesus was telling the disciples that he was going to leave them, he said, don't worry, I've prayed to the Father and he's going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to come and through his indwelling Christ is going to be with you forever. He constantly abides. There's never a day, there's never a moment that he doesn't abide. And when you think, for a moment that, that God has forsaken his church. And you look out at the church across our land today uh, and we need revival. We need renewal. We need restoration. But I don't want you to think for a moment that God has forsaken his vine. It's his. He cares for it. He sent his son into this world so that this vine would bear fruit. He sent the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us verse 2 and verse 6 that he is continually sifting, doing a sifting work in this vineyard. He's separating the fruit-bearing branches from those that bear none. And in his sovereignty, he even chooses those that will be grafted into the vine. John 15, 16, it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. We've been chosen so that we might bear fruit. We've been chosen not that we might ordain, uh, uh, be an ornament in a church building sitting on a pew on the Sabbath morning or a Sabbath evening. We have been chosen to be sent into the world to bear fruit unto his glory. Fruits of righteousness. 
We read in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. You couldn't have come to Christ, my dear brother or sister, except the Father had given you, first of all, to Christ. As believers, we marvel today at our union. And because of our union with God, our communion with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the work of the divine husband man within our souls. There's a verse I know I'm going to come back to in the weeks that lie ahead. But I just want to flag it up with you. In Psalm 104 and verse 16, it talks about the trees of the Lord. We're coming into the springtime. I, I love this season of the year more than any other. And even just walking around the, the roads here in the past few days, I have noticed tree after tree and the buds are thick on the trees. Why? Because the trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted. There's a sap of divine life in the soul that unites it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even after the winter season... Even after the darkest, coldest period of the year, that sap, it produces buds that will produce foliage, that will produce fruit, that will glorify God thereby. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. That's the secret of the branch. It's the secret of the branch that was grafted into the vine. It was receiving the sap from the vine. And because it received the sap from the stem, it was able to live. Its unity, its vitality, its fertility, all emanated from that little secret. It had the sap within it. Now I want to ask you today, do you have that divine life within your soul? Because if you don't have that divine life within your soul, you're a dead branch. And you'll soon weather. It's that life of God in the soul that produces the fruit that's on the branches. And if you go through the churches in Ulster today, or any other place, not just Ulster, if you go through the churches in Ulster today, they are laden with, they are laden with branches that are dead and withering. Why? Because they haven't got that divine sap within them. What a challenge. Secondly, a true believer will bear fruit. Verse 5. The same bringeth forth much fruit. It's talking about the branches. The same bringeth forth much fruit. Can we get back to basics again, dear brethren and sisters? Basic truth of, of New Testament Christianity is that a Christian will bring forth fruit. There'll be fruit in their lives. There'll be something on the branch to tell you that this branch is living. It's connected with the stem. It's got holy sap in it because there's fruit upon the bough. This is how you tell the difference between a false and a true profession. The fruit of the life. Simple as. Remember how Jesus summarized it in his closing comments in the Sermon on the Mount as he brought that 
uh, opening sermon to a conclusion. This is what he said, Matthew 7, 16 onward. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or, or figs of thistles? You know the answer. No, they don't. Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. I'm well aware that there are different seasons of life. There are different cycles of life in which uh, there, there, there'll be different abundance of fruits. <clears throat> I'm well aware that some ground will produce a higher degree of fruits than others. Jesus spoke, didn't he? <clears throat> About that abundance. And yet you can't get away from the fact that where there will be that sap, that new life within the branch, there will be fruit on the branch. The book of Psalms opens up, doesn't it, with that wonderful picture of the perfect man. And it says in Psalm 1 and 3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And the whole, the whole book of Psalms then opens up to us in that context. Planted. The heavenly husbandman planted. That tree by the rivers of water and that tree will bring forth his fruit in his season. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that produces such fruit. What is that fruit? Well, we, we read in Hosea 14.8, that fruit is from God. From me is thy fruit found. So it's not carnal. It's not fleshly. It's spiritual. This is spiritual fruit. If you want to look at it again, you can go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. There you have that ninefold unfolding of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and so forth. Is it evident in your life? Where's the love? Tell me today, where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the long-suffering? Long-suffering patience. Where's the gentleness? Where's the goodness? Where's the faith? The only way the spiritual fruit can be seen if there's sap in the branch if there's life in the soul there are some of course and they're tangled up in the vine and these branches are so tangled up in the vine it's hard to tell whether the branches are going to bear fruit or whether they are true or false believers and this is emblematic it's the externalization of religion and there are many people today and their religion is external it's just an externalization of religion. But they don't know real union and communion with Christ. Bishop Ryle said of such, notwithstanding services, sermons and sacraments, they have no grace in their hearts, no faith, no inward work of the Holy Spirit. It's not an awful tragedy. At the end of life's journey, all the sermons that they've heard all the services that they've attended, maybe even all of the sacraments that they've participated in, cannot put grace in the heart and grace in the soul. 
and I would fear lest there should be some in on alone and they're tangled so tangled up in the branches of the vine it's hard to tell whether they're fruit bearing or whether they have no fruit whether they're true professors or whether they're false professors what a, what a solemn warning this is to all gathered in because verse 6 reminds us if a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned this false professor this this branch that has no a uh, fruit upon it it will wither and the withered branch will fall in the ground and then it will be gathered up and it will be taken to be burned what a, a picture of of judgment that is yet to come and dear soul there's judgment and it's coming what a fearful thing to to think that there's judgment coming there's judgment coming for those who have been tangled up mixed up with the vine and yet were never truly united to the vine and never bore fruit from the vine there's judgment coming there's a reference here to fire again in, in a far greater way we're thinking that beyond the, the metaphorical language this burning is not a reference to annihilation because a fire will consume it and then it will go out but the fires of God's judgment are eternal eternal they're never put out Mark 9 and 43 says that fire is unquenchable it can't be put out you're warned today to flee from eternal judgment there's but one safe refuge for the lost and that's found in the, the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ in his blood shedding in his sacrifice in his once and for all atoning saving work on Calvary and today he waits to receive you and, and I urge you make haste to him it's not Ian Harris you need it's not the Free Presbyterian Church you need oh I don't need to even to tell you that it's Jesus alone you need. Just him alone. I want you to notice as we close in this cultivated vineyard thirdly that branches are so nurtured that they may bear forth more fruit. It's amazing that those who bear fruit look they're there they're united to the branch but look what's happening to them they're being cut back they've been pruned and we often say well why why should that happen to that church and why should that happen to that christian they're laboring they're faithful they're working they're striving they're doing all they can within their limitations for the lord and for the lord's working it's just seemed one blow after another blow they've been pruned verse two verse three reminds us too they've been cleansed Cleansing's hard work. If you ever have a dirty pot, maybe after dinner today, someone will, will burn the pot. And you'll have to work hard to clean it. And oh, I often think 
of how the word of God must go deep into our souls to cleanse it and to clean it. Painful, hard work. Soul searching, hard work. Why? Why is all this done? Verse 3 tells us. Verse reminds us that it's all done to make us clean. It is all done to make us bear more fruit. I think there are Christians today, and we, I think we all have been there at some time or another, we're afraid of going further. We're afraid of being seen too extreme. We're afraid that our holiness, it never will happen, of course, but we, we don't want to take holiness to the nth degree. We just, just, just keep it there in the middle. But we could never be clean enough. We could never be holy enough. Never be sanctified enough. God reminds us in the pruning, in the cleansing, in the testing, in the trying. But this world is not our home. God's preparing us for another home. Dear brethren and sisters, you and I are not meant to stay here. We're not meant to stay here. We're just passing through here. And the saintliest, the saintliest have to sometimes suffer severe testing, trying circumstances. But I just want to reassure you, if that's you today, God didn't send those testing, trying circumstances to destroy you. No, God sent them so that you would bear more fruits of holiness. <clears throat> I've always looked <clears throat> with amazement at those verses in Hebrews 12, and it says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. There's a, there's a modern method of parenting today, and I hope none of you follow it. It's called gentle parenting. It's basically the child telling the parent what the parent ought to do. Gentle parenting. That's not how God parents us. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Perhaps you're going through the scourging, the chastening. God's pruning your life. He's cleansing it. He's sanctifying it. Why? So that you bear more fruit. Branches can be cut right back. We've seen this even outside. Our brethren who earlier on in the autumn time cut down all of those bushes said to me at the time, do you think they'll grow again? They're growing already. They're growing already. They were cut right back. Why? So that that which remains would draw more strength from the main vine, from the main stem. And that's sometimes what God does with all of us. He cuts the, that which is superfluous 
It's cut aside. It's cut off our life. The things that are non-important are taken away from us. We're left just with the things that are important for time and for eternity. And we suddenly realize these are the things that really count. These are the things that really matter. Not just pruning. But there's a command here in verse 4. And Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. I think this verse has been so misrepresented and, and applied over the years. It, I have to say a little bit about it. I, I don't want you to misunderstand it so as to see it as human exertion is seen as a conditionality for Christ to bless you. Well, if I just abide in Christ, Christ will bless me. The exhortation to abide is explained from verse 7 to verse 9. And it means that our life is so one with the words of Christ that the words of Christ have complete control over my life. And there's a beautiful symmetry here. You abide in me and my words abide in you. And then that leads to that glorious prayer promise that whatever you ask it shall be done unto you. And, and how has all of that worked out? Well, the believer is so united to Christ and in whose heart Christ's word has such control. The word of Christ will control you, what you do, where you go, what you say, what you think, what you do. That believer will not ask anything contrary to God's will. And if you don't ask anything contrary to God's will, you'll have what you ask. Why? So that the branches will bear more fruit, that the, the Father will be glorified, that the believer's joy would be deeper and fuller. Sometimes we wonder why things happen. Why the branches pruned right back. Why life is taken right back to its basics. Why that word comes with such cleansing uh, application to our heart and it cuts us right to the core. Why does God do all of those things? Well, it might bear more fruit. I've been really blessed in reading through the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And I finished it last night. And I was so encouraged <clears throat> that at the end of Joseph's life, all of the harsh uh, circumstances that he had to endure, he was able to say in Genesis 50, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And maybe that's exactly where you are today. Your life has been pruned away back. The word has been coming to you, but it's been cutting you. It's been, it, it's been like that sharp cleansing agency it's been taking you right back to the to the very quick to the very core why because god means it for good he means it for good what an application this has for us it's it's encouragement for every christian today no matter where you are battling on struggling on as an encouragement for you god means it for good our heavenly father wants you and I to bring forth fruit to his glory. And he tells us, he that heareth the word and understandeth it, he'll bear forth fruit. There has to be fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold, but there has to be some fruit in the life. And if there's no fruit in your life, there's no spiritual life in your life. 
You're a branch that's going to wither. Cut, be cut off and face judgment. How, how we long to see the increase. And we pray that the heavenly husband man will come and help us all to self-examine our own lives. Answer the question before you leave that pew today. Am I a true branch? Is there any fruit in my life at all that tells the world that witnesses in heaven that I'm a true child of God? And if not, I urge you today to repent of your sin and to seek the Lord and to call upon him and to come to Christ now, today.